Precision Analytical is a proud sponsor of New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. Precision Analytical has developed the ultimate functional medicine test for reproductive and adrenal hormones, DUTCH. Uh, that's a D-U-T-C-H. A dried urine test for comprehensive hormones uses the easiest of sample collections and offers uniquely comprehensive data. This simple test offers the pattern of free cortisol, which parallels salivary results, melatonin, the metabolites of estrogens, progesterone, androgens, and cortisol in one test. Go to www.dutchtest.com to learn more. That's www.dutchtest.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. I'm Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. And with me today is a very special guest, in fact, a woman who... Um, who really spoke to me in such a frank and honest way at an important transition time in my life. Um, it was a tipping point, actually. It's, anyway, it's Dr. Sarah Gottfried, um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about my background in a second, but uh, you know her as the author of two New York Times best-selling books, including The Hormone Cure, um, which I have and I use, not just personally, but professionally. There's many pearls in that book. Uh, it's highly useful. And she's got 40 pages of references in there too as well. Uh, and, and her new book now, uh, Out 2015, is The Hormone Reset Diet, and that's what we'll be mostly focusing on today. Uh, Dr. Gottfried, after graduating from Harvard Medical School and MIT, Dr. Gottfried completed her residency at the University of California at San Francisco. She's a board-certified gynecologist who teaches natural hormone balancing in her novel online programs so that women can lose weight, detoxify, and slow down aging. Dr. Gottfried lives in Berkeley, California with her husband and her two daughters. Sarah, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Kara. So happy to be with you. Yeah, so my background, our first conversation was, was mid-2013. You were just putting the final touches on the hormone cure, as I recall, and I... I called you. We had a scheduled appointment to chat about an interview I was going to do with you, and I literally came from a red eye to the office to call you, and uh, you know you chastised me for for that choice. I hadn't slept at all. Dragged myself into my office, and there I was working. And um, you know that was that was really a, the beginning of a conversation that I started to have with myself around lifestyle changes. You know, and and what was healthy living for. Most of my career, I've I've traveled, and particularly in the, you know, in the uh, maybe 2010 through 20, 2013, or t maybe earlier than that, I was traveling extensively around the world, and you know, it was rewarding in some ways, but yeah, I I wasn't practicing what I was preaching, um, and it was taking its toll on myself. So I I appreciate you for that candid conversation and your support through the years. Well, thank you for that. I, I think uh, I've been there myself, sister. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like, you know, I hope it didn't feel like I was chastising you. I hope it felt more like I was nudging you to just acknowledge what happens when we have boundaries that allow things like red eyes. Yes. And we know that when you fly, the adrenal demand, the amount of demands that are put on your adrenal glands alone is about threefold normal. And I think most people feel that, right? I, I forget how far you had flown, but it was probably across the country. And mm -hmm. when yeah. you work hard the next day, it's just exhausting. Your cortisol is going to be higher. It's, it's, it's just a lot of wear and tear on your body. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I used the word chastise, but I think uh, it wasn't a conversation that I was having you know, with myself or with anybody else. And, you know, a lot of our colleagues, a lot of my, of my friends, I mean, people are traveling all of the time and, and we take it as a, as a given. You know, I'd, I'd done so really my entire career. And, and yet I absolutely felt the impact on my body. Um, and I'm so, I'm so grateful that we, start, we started that conversation and it grew and it, and it, and it transitioned or translated into some pretty big life changes for me and more discernment around my choices. So, well, that's beautiful. That's what that's that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I, but that's what I want for our listeners today to have more discernment at the end of our conversation. Uh, that's so that's so wonderful. All right. Well, let's jump in and talk about the hormone reset diet. Tell me about it. 
Yeah, well, I this book is such a labor of love. You know, my first book, The Hormone Cure, is about the top seven hormone imbalances that women have, and I, I sometimes joke that I've had every single one of them. But I, I also struggled with my weight for most of my life, and I didn't talk about it until I published The Hormone Cure. I gained some weight as a result of publishing that book, and I, I felt like I really needed to take on my own experience with weight gain, having difficulty losing weight. We know that 80% of women are unsatisfied with their body. Mm, And I know that that's true because I used to be one of them. And if we rewind to when I was in my mid-30s, I had a baby and I just couldn't lose the weight afterwards. I went to my doctor, my poor primary care doctor, who had that attitude that I think a lot of conventional doctors have. You know, he said, eat less, exercise more. And he also, you know, I told him about feeling stressed out and having this new baby and juggling it with a job, and he also suggested an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. And I just had a hunch that he was was not giving me the solutions that were getting at the root cause. I had a hunch that my problem with weight was hormonal, and that hunch turned out to be correct. So I had estrogen dominance, insulin resistance, high cortisol, low thyroid, long list. But I learned through extensive research and then from a lot of personal experimentation that calories matter, but hormones and nutrients matter more. And that's what changed everything. That's what led to my new book, The Hormone Reset Diet. You know, I appreciate how frank you are with your own experience through both your books. Um, all right, so let's talk about those the seven hormones that are so paramount to understand from, from yeah. your perspective. I mean, I know we know as clinicians a lot about this, and we're doing balancing in our office every day, but you have a really unique take, and I might add, you know, just thousands of patients and patient encounters where you've really distilled this knowledge beautifully. So tell me about them. Yeah, thank you. The seven hormones that I found to be the most important when it comes to women and weight are estrogen, insulin, leptin, cortisol, thyroid, growth hormone, and testosterone. So those are the big seven that I pay a lot of attention to. There's other hormones as well, you know, ghrelin. uh, There's a long list of other hormones, but those are the seven that I've really found to be key. Yeah, and you always start with and return to um, estrogen. And, and, and you, uh, yeah, so so talk about that. Yeah, I feel like estrogen is the devil we know. Right. (laughs) like... It's the quintessential female hormone. It gives us breasts and hips and, in my case, a little too much breast and hips. So estrogen is important for both men and women. When men have estrogen dominance, it can lead to an imbalanced testosterone to estradiol ratio, and that is a marker for an increased risk of heart disease. It also can give you uh, a man can. So I'm trying to think of a more clinical term for that. (laughs) Kind of breast yeah. tissue, yeah. man boobs. <laughs> right. Um, so I start with estrogen because it's actually one of the hormones that's harder to reset. And what I found, you know, for the past ten years, I've been teaching a detox, a way of resetting these seven hormones in three day bursts. And I found that estrogen was the hardest, and so that's the one I like to start with. It's also kind of an easy win to reset estrogen, and once you start to change the way that estrogen is trafficked in your body, it just, it makes such a difference in terms of how you feel, your mood, uh, kind of your fluid retention. And so it's the one I like to start with, and it's the one I like for people to correct the longest. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why it's first in the sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. In fact, I just finished doing a detox myself, and I can, I feel the estrogen shift. There's just no doubt about it. I'm, I'm with you in tending towards estrogen dominance, absolutely. I do think, though, that we have a good toolkit, and um, and you've outlined a really nice one in your book. But so that you're 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 looking at genetics and epigenetics these days. Actually, you you have as as long as I've known you, and and you talk about the estrobolome. Yes. Yeah. So most people have heard of the microbiome. You know, we have this this collection of of bacteria and other microbes that we run around with. They outnumber our, our human cells 10 to 1. And when you look at their DNA in aggregate, it's called the microbiome. 
Mm-hmm. So most of us have heard of the microbiome. There's a subset of the microbiome that is a major factor in determining your estrogen levels, and that subset is called the estrobilome. So it's a, it's a collection of mostly bacteria that modulate your estrogen levels in your body. And these bacteria determine whether estrogen keeps getting recirculated in your body over and over again instead of getting pooped and peed out. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, an analogy I like to use here is that estrogen is meant to be used and then disposed of. It's not supposed to recirculate. Right. It's, if it recirculates, it's like bad karma. Right, right. Are you, you know, actually, I want to just jump to another question I was going to ask you on this topic um, because we're here now. And, and that is the gut endocrine brain axis. Um, you've just said quite a bit. Anything you want to add thinking about the gut, you know, HPA or endocrine brain axis? Well, I think this is kind of fundamental functional medicine, right? I mean, you and I love to talk about functional medicine. And when you're looking at root cause analysis and you're approaching the body as a system instead of taking you know, the, the gut and leaving it to the gastroenterologist and taking the endocrine system and leaving it to the endocrinologist or the gynecologist. When you look at the whole system and the interconnections, I think that's so key. So I think the estrobilome and the way that you manage estrogen in the body is a great example of that. So if you're someone who's kind of like me, you know, I'm a bit of a recovering type A personality, and I get stressed pretty easily. Genetically, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm considered a corporate warrior, so I tend to, you know, kind of choose stress. Yep, yep, I got it. <laughs> and so when you're like that and you run around with high cortisol, you also tend to have high estrogen. You tend to, you know, have an estrobilome that kind of favors having more estrogen in your body and less progesterone. So in women, the ratio that you're trying to pay attention to here is progesterone to estradiol. And if you're a high cortisol person, so your your control system, the hypothalamic, pituitary, adrenal, thyroid, gonadal axis, when you're making too much cortisol, you're going to block the progesterone receptor. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you know, high cortisol can also poke holes in the gut and lead to leaky gut syndrome. Yes. And you can have problems with uh, dysbiosis, with um, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it just these are just kind of quick little hints about the importance of the interconnection of the gut, the control system for the hormones, the HPA, TG, mm-hmm. and the brain. Right. Absolutely. So it it you know you you are thinking about I can see in your in both of your books, and I'm sure you did this in clinical practice addressing the gut concurrently. I mean, that's just a thread that's woven through the full, all of the stages of the reset diet. Oh, for sure. I think, um, I mean, that's, you know, if we, if we dial back to how we work in functional medicine and the protocols that we build, the way that I was taught to address a problem is to formulate a differential diagnosis, right? To have like a list of why somebody has the symptoms that they have when they're sitting across from me in my office. And then to ideally find one drug <laughs> that would address right. the most common problem they have or run some labs and see what is the one problem that they have. And I think what, what we've learned over time, you know, some of us come to functional medicine a little later in life, it doesn't work. Like that whole idea of one drug, one disease, it's just not effective. It, it doesn't get at the root cause. It leads to partial solutions at best. And your greatest hope of a cure is to address upstream, to go as upstream as possible to address the root cause. Mm-hmm. And often that root cause is related to the gut or it's related to the way that your brain perceives threat mm-hmm. in the environment. That's certainly true for me because I'm one of those people who's always searching for threat. Right. And I've got what I, what I sometimes call very fondly a hot amygdala. Like <laughs> I'm just always looking for danger. Right. That's so interesting. That's a great connection. Yeah, and of course we can turn that on readily. I mean, some, you know, a, 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 
dysbiotic imbalance could could participate in triggering that and vice versa and then the cortisol into the mix will um, continue the progression of that but yeah I understand what you mean um, okay so uh, talk, just talking about labs in in this sort of systems workup I mean you know my first question thinking about estrogen and getting rid of it is you know beta glucuronidase are you are you looking at that on a stool test so that's an enzyme that when in high presence, is going to allow for the recirculation of estrogen um, from the gut back into circulation, beta-glucuronidase, and it's, and it's available on certain stool tests. Is that something that you consider? I do, but I, I have to tell you, and, and I want to hear your experience as well, mm-hmm. when I suspect that someone has estrogen dominance, and I can have a, I, you know, after taking care of 25,000 women in the past 25 years, I have a pretty good sense of what hormones are out of balance just from talking to them for about 15 minutes. Yeah. So when I'm looking at someone and I think that they have estrogen dominance, I'm going to order some tests to confirm it. But I can tell you, I ordered a lot more stool tests at the beginning where I would look at beta-glucuronidase. And it was high pretty much in everyone that I suspected had estrogen dominance. So I do think it's it's helpful, especially towards the beginning of your career in functional medicine, to order it, and it's good as a confirmation if there's a confusing story. Yes. What about you? Do you order it often? Well, you know, I, I there's when I use the panel, the GIFX, it it comes stand, standard on that panel, and so. Um, you know, I, I look at it and I certainly consider it. But if it were a standalone offering, I, I agree with you. Um, estrogen jo- dominance is pretty straightforward, and I'm going to be measuring hormones. And, you know, um, so it's not something that I would, as a standalone, order it if it were offered. Uh, incidentally, you know, going back to the hormone cure, you compiled some, uh, some self assessments that you based on your you know, all of your clinical time and working with so many women with these hormone imbalances. And then you also looked at John Lee's work and those are very useful. I mean, they are really nicely honed self-assessment tools that, you know, I use with patients. uh, And I also, you know, I also recommend them when I'm teaching, you know, just as, as good, you know, down and dirty assessments to differentiate the different clusters of imbalances that we can see. Absolutely, and I, you know, I think there's a lot of folks who have some overlap between the different mm-hmm. sets of symptoms. But for our listeners, if you're interested in in checking out some of these questions that we're talking about, you could certainly go to either of my books, or you could go to thehormonecurebook.com forward slash quiz, thehormonecurebook.com forward slash quiz, and that'll take you to a version of this quiz. But yeah, I think these quizzes are really helpful. You know, I tend to use the quizzes. I do more of a gestalt when I'm seeing a patient, and I also, I use the quizzes when I'm teaching a workshop, Mm -hmm. so I teach a lot of kind of hormone balancing yoga workshops, and I will, I'm also a yoga teacher. I had to become a yoga teacher because of this crazy personality of mine and (laughs) hot amygdala, but I I will use that so that people can self-diagnose. I think it's so helpful to engage that collaboration. Yes with a patient. And so having that power so that you're not, you know, turning over your power to a patriarchal physician and sort of putting all the power in their hands, I think it's helpful to have that analysis and to have a sense of, oh, I have a tendency toward estrogen dominance and oh, it looks like insulin might be out of whack and I think I may have some problems with testosterone. So I think it's very helpful to kind of guide the next step. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, you know, low in cortisol in the morning and then I shoot up at, you know, 3, 4, 6, 7 p.m. and I can't sleep or, yeah, it, it is. I think it's it's really a useful tool and folks coming into functional medicine should check them out. We will put the, um, the website with this podcast transcript. Uh, so going back to laboratory, uh, what do you think is essential workup for uh, women? Yeah, it's interesting because for me this has changed over time. You know, when I first started out, I always did a blood test when I first saw patients. And that panel would include 
if they were cycling a day 21 or day 22 progesterone, I would look at estradiol. I would check free and total testosterone. I'd look at uh, cortisol, ideally around 8 a.m. I'd look at fasting leptin. Um, the panel that I would run on someone who had weight gain was a little bit different than someone who had other hormonal problems. But I, I started with blood testing because I, I really found that it was the universal language of conventional medicine. Yeah. And it was a way that I could develop buy-in with a lot of the conventional physicians that were referring to me, you know, starting uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And then yeah. over time, you know, what usually happened on a second visit is I would do, uh, I would look at uh, diurnal cortisol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now I'm actually really interested in diurnal urine testing so that you can look at the metabolism of cortisol and you can look at estrogen metabolism. And um, so what, what I, the panel that I run has really changed over time. I still do blood testing, especially in someone who's trying to lose weight. And I'll also look at fasting glucose and hemoglobin A1C. I like to look at liver function, just mm-hmm. looking for um, fatty liver. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure I'm leaving some things out here, but the, that, that's the basic panel. Okay. And so, I mean, so what urine panel are you using? Can you share that? Yeah, so I, I tend to use the um, Precision Hormones panel. It's the one that I found to be the most accurate. Um, it's a, a lab that's based in Oregon, and the guy that was the head of um, the urine testing at CRT went off on his own, Mark Newman, and developed this assay that I just find to be incredibly helpful. Okay. All right. Good tip. Are you looking at nutrients per chance as well? I do look at nutrients because I think um, micronutrient deficiencies are really important to look at. And, you know, as we get into the topic of weight loss resistance, I think it's important to look at things like fungal overgrowth. And yeah. so I, I tended, you know, the, the, I, I've changed over time, but I kind of started off doing a lot of Nutravals. I still uh-huh. like the Nutraval by Genova. Uh-huh. And I also do some organic acid testing. Mm-hmm. Um, with metametrics, so uh, that's what I tend to do. And then, you know, the then the question is, you know, where does the stool analysis fit in? I tend to do that as well. I tend to focus first on hormone balancing because I just find that that helps people feel better so fast. And sometimes when you clean up the food by addressing hormones, some of the gastrointestinal symptoms can resolve. Yes. Now you might have a different path, and I want to hear about that. I imagine you look at maybe gut function and immune function a little sooner than I do. Yeah, I tend to do, I can tend to, yeah, you know what, I, I have to honestly say, I tend to bang it out, you know, immediately. You know, I look at the whole, I look at gut, I'm looking at nutrients and doing, you know, a Nutraval or an ion, and I'm looking at hormones. And um, these days I've actually been using blood. I was using urine for a while but wasn't quite satisfied with the results that I was seeing, so I'm interested in this lab that you mentioned. Um, so I do, I do my assessment early, and it's, and it's really pretty thorough, and then, um, you know, build out the matrix. So I'm using the functional medicine tools to map out where I need to start. Often it's, often it's the gut, you know, the, obviously the gut's a, a, a huge player, but, you know, when you've got a woman come to you who's got hot flashes, not sleeping, you know, kids working, I mean, that whole picture that you really, that you talk about, you articulate from your own experience and also the women that you write about in your book, I mean, there's some urgent things that need to be addressed immediately. And, and, you know, in a, 30, 30 to 50, 60 something women that the woman that's, you know, that's giving them some relief from hormone overload. And I absolutely agree with you that dietary intervention is a huge leverage point for us. Um, and then I think pointed micronutrients and, you know, in the hormone cure, you have a nice appendix of some of the herbs and, uh, nutrients and nutraceuticals that you recommend, um, which work, you know, they work. And I, you know, I also appreciate the fact that you're not, you're not a mega doser at all. I think that really identifying those, you know, those, those, those areas that you can gently 
push, you know, with a few interventions or with lifestyle and, and or with diet and lifestyle um, can have profound and far-reaching effects. So uh, I appreciate I agree with you. And I, and yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I love to fill out the matrix as well. And that profile that you described, which is pretty much 95% of my patients, mm-hmm. <laughs> they come in and they're, you know, their eyes are wide and they're like, you want me to do what? Yeah. And so sometimes I'll triage yeah. the testing that they do so that we start off with, okay, we're going to look at a base case of where you are with your hormones. We're going to start for the, with these easy wins. And then we're going to move on to this other testing if you still have symptoms that aren't resolved. And part of this comes from, you know, a very functional medicine way of thinking about protocols where you start first with the lifestyle changes, you know, filling micronutrient gaps, you know, figuring out, okay, you hardly have any vitamin C, and if you take two grams of vitamin C a day, it's going to raise your progesterone level. You know, sometimes these small tweaks can really swing big doors. Yes. And then I, I like to move on to herbal therapies. And if those aren't resolving symptoms, I'll do some more testing and then we'll do some bioidentical hormone therapy. But I agree with you. You know, in conventional medicine, the approach has always been one dose for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty whopping dose. Yep. And I, I find that the human body, especially the female body, does a lot better with the gentle coaxing and nudging. Right. Especially of herbs and kind of a more tonifying approach rather than a sledgehammer of, you know, a big dose of the Wiley protocol for estrogen and progesterone, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've inherited, you know, former Wiley people into my practice and there's, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, but when you've been mega dosing, <laughs> but when you Wiley been, protocol refugees, we'll have a separate <laughs> conversation about them. Right, right. I mean, there's some very important cleanup work. I mean, you know, with, with such hormone overload, I mean, you know, just definitely detoxification and um, attention. You know, while we're talking about this, I, you know, I, I just wanted to point out when I was reading The Hormone Reset and really woven through The Hormone Cure and, and really, and what you, 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 you know, you really practice what you're preaching is that lifestyle medicine is always in there. Um, in every one of the hormone reset stages, there's something about mind-body. Uh, and I greatly appreciate that, be it loving kindness or, um, you know, using heart math tools. Um, very nice. Thank you. You know, I, I feel like this is such an important piece. Mm-hmm. And I, I've had the experience of women coming to see me in my office. And they'll just say off the top of their head, I know you're a yoga teacher, don't talk to me about yoga or meditation. I, you know, I will shoot myself if you make me do yoga or meditation. And so I really appreciate that a lot of people who are feeling overwhelmed, they're just like, no, yeah. no, 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 you don't understand. Yeah. So I think it's really crucial, especially if you have this particular pattern of kind of the high rev yeah. that you actively reset your nervous system. Yes. And I've learned it, you know, through trial and error. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried to get away with not meditating and not doing yoga on a regular right. basis. And right. it just it doesn't work as well. And, you know, as you move through the protocol of let's do this to your diet and let's add these micronutrients and how about this herb for your adrenals, those are going to be so much more effective if you've got the lifestyle dialed in. Absolutely. You know, there was a pretty cool paper that came out of University of Oregon. I think it was last year about grounding. I don't know if you saw it. I'll send it to you if you didn't. And and, and they did this interesting study on, on it, you know, lowering cortisol. And, you know, a grounding activity could be as simple as, simple as taking your shoes off and standing in, you know, standing on, the, on clean grass. You know, that's it. I mean, there's some, and, and I do think that when we get the, our hot amygdala like that, women in our office, of which, you know, I am one, that, you know, we, need, we do need to initially meet them where they're at and show them that this works. And so something simple as just getting outside in the dewy grass without your shoes, you know, and breathing for a few minutes as your starting point, I think can be really powerful. So that's one of the things I think about with my patients who come in and say, you know, don't talk to me about yoga or meditation. I can, that's, that, that cracks me up because I can, I can certainly identify and I can see that woman in front of me. You know, okay, well, what are you willing to do or where can we meet to start this journey? Because there is a fundamental shift, you know, as I myself had to make 
um, you know, a few years ago around this and this movement into the recognition that lifestyle medicine, it, life, some kind of a practice, I don't, we don't need to call it lifestyle medicine, um, is so essential to uh, the whole wellness process. Totally. And, you know, with that woman sitting across from me, you know, I feel like one of our jobs is to break the bad news that, well, actually, some sort of contemplative practice is part of the process here. Like, mm -hmm. it, it's a non-negotiable. Right. And even though a lot of women come to me and they say, you know, I just, give me a prescription for testosterone and I'll be on my way. Yeah. Like, the body doesn't work that way. You can't right. just throw testosterone into the hypothalamic, pituitary, adrenal, thyroid, gonadal axis and hope for the best. Yes. You know, it's, it's a very complicated feedback loop and you have to kind of dial it in. Yeah. And figure out, okay, what's what's going to make the most sense here? And I'm glad that you brought up grounding. I think this is one of the reasons why when you go to the beach and you walk on the beach every morning for an hour, mm -hmm. you just feel so much better. Yes. It's, right. the, it's the reason why gardeners feel better, right? I, I just think there's there are these these solutions that nature offers us that we often don't take because we're running around with um, insulated shoes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so simple. Um okay. That was a that that was a nice a nice divergence, an important one. I now I know that that you've encountered in your practice um significant weight loss resistance. We all have. And I want to back that up by, by first saying that functional medicine works for weight loss you know, all of the time. I mean, I have case after case after case where, where, where women and men, kids if they need to, you know, they'll shed pounds naturally through the process of balancing, uh, but in dialing in the diet and micronutrients, et cetera. But there is a subset of women, I don't, I don't think that I've seen this in, in a man, or at least certainly not to the degree, that are extremely resistant um, to... Uh, many different interventions and diets and, you know, even with all of the analysis, we're still hitting a wall or it's very slow. Uh, and I just wanted to get your idea on that, you know, pretty refractory uh, weight mm -hmm. loss resistance. Mm-hmm. Well, I see this a lot. You know, I have a lot of women who do my detox and they're getting their hormones to a place where they're almost a poster child and mm -hmm. they're still struggling with their weight. And so, you know, rather than, I, I think the tendency in the past has been to say, well, you must not be doing it right, or there must be something psychological. And I just think that's total BS. So what we know about weight loss resistance, I think it'd be fun to riff with you a little bit on this. Uh-huh. I think of about eight different categories with weight loss resistance, and we can maybe talk about some of these. One is the timing of foods. And I address this quite a bit in the hormone reset diet. You know, this is especially important with insulin and with leptin, that you have a period of time before you go to bed yeah. where you digest. You know, what I generally recommend is that you finish eating by 7 and that you go 4 to 6 hours between your foods. And if you're someone who feels like you have to snack, that is a sign that either your insulin or leptin or both are out of whack and need to be addressed. Mm hmm a second category is inflammation. I know you deal with this a ton. You know, kind of chronic immune activation, um, mold exposure fits in here. Mm -hmm. I've been learning more recently about mold exposure and how about 50% of buildings are exposing people to mold, you know, either at the workplace or at home, schools too. And about 24% of the population has genes that make them really susceptible to chronic immune activation after being exposed to mold. Mm -hmm. So that's another common problem. Medications, you and I were talking offline a little bit about this, especially, yes. you know, I think here about antidepressants yes. and SSRIs, they affect the serotonin receptor, yeah. and there's some genes in particular where when you block that receptor, when you take... Lexapro or Paxil, it can lead to metabolic syndrome. Yes. We have that constellation of weight gain and diabetes and increased blood pressure and uh, problems with your cholesterol profile. 
but also some of the old ones, the old antidepressants, like the tricyclics, which we sometimes use in gynecology for people with um, urge incontinence, mm-hmm. urinary incontinence. MAO inhibitors can do it too. And this is one of those places where we know that SSRIs cause waking in up to 25% of the people who take them. Right. And this is usually 10 pounds or more. Yes. It affects your appetite and your metabolism. So this is a common one. I know you've encountered this too, Kara. Yeah, absolutely. And there are also interesting data around, I think, what will emerge as rather profound dysregulation of the microbiome with the psychotropics. Um, Yes, I have. So when you and I were talking about it, you, you, you know, you wanted me to mention how I, or you asked me how I dealt with it. And I would say thus far in my practice, I have not been successful at supporting uh, an individual with, who, who has um, psychotropic related weight gain. I have not been able to support them in any uh, profound weight loss while they're on the medications. So in my experience thus far, unfortunately, well, see, I say unfortunately. I mean, I know it, it does seem there are a small subset whom really benefit from these meds, but really, by and large, you can at least start a taper. Um, we've got a great arsenal of tools in functional medicine, for all of these things that we're talking about, that um, for the majority of folks seem to be quite useful in um, improving them sufficiently where they no longer need any of these medications that they're on. And so for those folks who can taper off, some people do it, you know, really quickly, and then the, the weight loss happens. Uh, so unfortunately, thus far in my experience, for the most part, uh, it's hard to work through the drug effect with, with our tools as far as weight loss goes. With the good news being that when you're working upstream and you're changing diet and you're healing the gut, like often you don't need the medications. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as a hormone, as a hormone expert, I have to say that a lot of people get started unnecessarily on these psychotropics. Yes. You know, we know that we know that SSRIs, for instance, can be life-saving in someone who's got severe depression. Yes. But what I see is I see so many women who come in who've got that high cortisol, low cortisol story, and they've got, you know, a thyroid that's out of whack, and estrogen dominance. We know that 50% of people with depression have high cortisol. 20% of people with depression have low thyroid function. And they get started on exactly the wrong thing. They get started on an SSRI instead of addressing the root cause. Absolutely. So often, often the hormone balancing and kind of dialing in the rest of the matrix can help people get off. So I, I think that's that is a very the good important news. solution. Yes, and it is the good news. And you're right. Yes, I think we're, 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 we're enormously successful in that arena. I also wanted to add to the mix, um, you know, that, you know, inflammation is such a fundamental player in um, mood disorders of all, of all ilk. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, just simply reducing the inflammatory burden uh, in whatever way is indicated in a patient will um, be sufficient to turn them around. Sometimes certain appropriate nutrients are, are, are needed to support, and yeah, it works. Um, talking about uh, some of these nutrients, I, you know, you do make, as I said earlier, a lot of nice recommendations in the hormone cure, uh, and I know you, you know, you're thinking about some new ones. I was uh, checking out your blog recently, and what, what, what are some of the supplements that are go-tos for you these days? Yeah. Well, I think omega-3s are one of the most proven supplements, and what I love about omega-3s is that they make such a difference in healing the gut. They also have been shown to lower cortisol. They've been shown to raise lean body mass mm-hmm. in randomized trials. So that's certainly a go-to. In the Hormone Reset Diet, I talk quite a bit about berberine. Yes. I really, I, it's one of my favorite supplements. Yes. I'm looking at some new data that shows that you need to take it for about two months as a pulse and then come off of it and then restart it again. But I really love the berberine data, especially when it comes to regulating blood sugar. It mm-hmm. seems to work, as you know, Kara, as well, if not better, than metformin. Yes. And 
This is especially good for women who have that polycystic ovarian type of phenotype, that kind of picture, and it's been shown to really be helpful for them. So those are some of my favorites. I could go on. I mean, I'm always, uh, I have a supplement graveyard at my house. I think I've got (laughs) thousands of supplements. I'm just constantly trying to learn more and, you know, find the one that makes the difference for the most people. Right, right. That's so funny. I think I do too. We'll have to like compare <laughs> closets. We'll have to send each other photos. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. You should post it on Instagram. We'll have like a. We'll start trending the supplement graveyard. Hashtag supplement graveyard. <laughs> right. That's so funny. Yeah, I have. I have a. I know. I look at myself. I just. Yeah. Too many. But um, yes, I'm a big fan of berberine. And you know, incidentally, of course, it 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 was first recognized with for its antimicrobial properties so certainly some of that modulating that we're doing you know with blood sugar and lipids and so forth using berberine is you know through gut you know balancing the gut microbiome so it it is it's quite a remarkable um, botanical it is yes I love berberine and you know I'm what can I tell you I I'm always trying new things. Maybe you and I could talk a little bit about some of the supplements that we're taking now. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to go first? What's one that you're really into right now? Well, you know, I, I'm just scanning my, my cabinet. Um, I am taking, I take, I take extra potassium always. I like that quite a bit. I use magnesium. I think I have a lot of workhorses in my supplement cabinet. I recently did um, an ion, you know, like the Nutra Eval. So based on the ion, I needed B12, a little bit of extra folate. I'm doing um, phosphatidylserine. And Great. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I, d- I take fish oil always. Um what else? I've been doing. I've been taking some extra liver support these days. So, um, a little milk thistle, a combination product: milk thistle, some, a little bit of N-acetylcysteine, some alpha lipoic acid, um, artichoke. All right, still scanning the cabinet. I do uh, dim. I use mm-hmm. dim. Um, I'm taking black cohosh because I am. I'm definitely prone to getting hot flashes if I'm. If I'm not balanced, um, geez. Oh, and you know, gamma linolenic acid as well. I take GLA. Uh, I tend towards a little bit of, of eczema. I think I have one of the, or I do have one of the filaggrin mutations, which will uh, allow eczema in winter eczema. I don't have severe eczema. It runs in my family, but I fortunately am heterozygous, so I get I tend towards dry skin, and and GLA seems to knock that out with fish oil. Um, well, that's what I can think of right now. I know there's more. I'm sorry. What are you, what are you taking? No. <laughs> there's got to be that's more. That's a great list. That's a great list. Well, I've just come off of a, a protocol to get rid of mercury. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of in a more zen state of fewer supplements right now. But oh, nice. I always, I always take extra fiber mm-hmm. because oh, fiber yeah. is yeah. so important for especially resetting your estrogen levels. So yes. I take... I get somewhere around 75 to 100 grams of fiber a day. So I have to take some as a supplement. Mm-hmm. I take vitamin D. I've got a faulty vitamin D receptor. So I take about 10,000 international units today with some broccoli seed. I also take fish oil. I take about 4,000 milligrams a day. Mm-hmm. Yep. I take magnesium as well. It really helps me with my estrogen methylation pathway. So I'm a big fan of magnesium and betaine. And I also take N-acetylcysteine. I love NAC. I feel like it's, it's got one of the best safety profiles. It's proven to help reduce mercury and um, just to help the liver with detoxification. So those are some of my top. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I, the, yeah, it sounds like a good, uh, a good protocol. I have to say that I am also taking D and fiber as well, although I've never calculated the, the number, so I, I'm going to pay attention and do a little tracking for that. Awesome. Um, okay, let's move, move away from the cabinets. <laughs> <laughs> you, in the, in, again, in the Hormone Reset, 
you are employing some nature cure treatments, which um, as a naturopath, I very much appreciated seeing. And again, I think they're time proven. Um, a couple of the things that you're doing, first of all, dry skin brushing, which I absolutely love. I can feel the tingling just saying it. Um, <laughs> and I know you you do hydrotherapy. Um, you know you're recommending Epsom salts baths and so forth. So could talk about talk about that. Sure. Well, these are things that I've found to be so helpful in my body, and I, you know, I, I think we all have a set of standards, kind of evidential hierarchy for protocols and recommendations that we make to clients. And then there are certain, as you said, nature cures that have just such a low risk that we don't need to have randomized trials showing that they're helpful. You can do the end of one trial and just see if it makes a difference for you. So I find, especially when I'm asking people to get off of caffeine, and I'm going to break that bad news right now, that if you do the hormone reset diet, this 21-day program to reset your seven hormones, I'm going to ask you to get off of caffeine because we know that 51% of the population has the slow metabolism gene for caffeine. And if you're like me, that means that I'm going to sleep one to two hours less, even if I have a cup of coffee at 6 o'clock in the morning. Mm. So I like for people to get off of caffeine, and one of the ways that I think is really helpful to um, sort of swap the caffeine for something that stimulates you in the morning is to do dry brushing. Mm -hmm. And so it stimulates the lymphatics. It just gives you that kind of zingy feeling that I think you were just trying to articulate, and I'm a huge fan. And then with hydrotherapy, this is interesting. We could drill a little deeper into this because there's some new data, especially on saunas, and, and how they turn on longevity genes, such as the FOXO3 gene. But the idea with hydrotherapy is that you have cold exposure. You know, one way to do it is you get in your shower, you get dry brush first, and then get in your shower and do a minute of cold water, as cold as you can stand, and then a minute of hot water, as hot as you can stand, and just alternate. And this is really interesting for the body. It's kind of like a I'm an engineer, and I think of the body as being, you know, it's almost like this harmonic oscillation that you induce. It's One way to think of it is this term hormesis, where you have a mild stressor, yes. like hot water and cold water alternating, and it just stimulates these endorphins, and it stimulates kind of this healing response in the body that can be quite profound. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and just physiologically, I mean, it's the you know, the, the dilation and constriction of your vessels and getting things moving. And I think um, going into the shower after you've done dry screen brushing, which also is, which gets the lymphatics moving, um, is, yeah, that's just, it's a great combination. It's a great combination. And, you know, there's a study that was just published in JAMA looking at the fins. So my grandmother is Finnish and I grew up visiting her family in Minnesota, and one thing we would do there in the summer, I think they also do this in the winter, <laughs> is you go have a sauna with the family. So you're, like, sitting around in your towels, getting to know people on a very intimate level. And then you go dive in the lake. And then you go back to the sauna, and then you go dive in the freezing cold lake. And so it's the same right. sort of process, but in the study that was published in JAMA, there was a group of Finnish men that were followed for about 20 years, and they found a 40% reduced mortality mm. in the men who had saunas four to seven times a week versus people who had saunas once a week or less. 40% reduced mortality, 50% reduced mortality for um, cardiovascular disease. Oh, that's, that's quite profound, and that's thought to be the heat shock proteins that get activated and how that turns on the FOXO3 gene, which is one of your longevity genes. Mm -hmm. It helps clear out the gunky proteins that you have in your body. So this is a really good thing. That's, that's a nice study. And I'm sure that we'll see more as attention is brought to these concepts. I mean, and, that, and which was, you know, yet another reason I appreciated seeing them um, because certainly we've been aware of these things in, um, you know, in traditional medicine, natural medicine for time immemorial. You know, I just want to throw in this little cool factoid around the whole hydrotherapy piece. I remember in 
med school learning about using warm water on burns. I don't know if you've ever heard that. And not too, about a month ago, I was frantically cleaning the kitchen in a, you know, just tidying up before I left for work and picked up a metal lid off of a burner and really scolded my hand. And I remembered that, you know, this idea that was introduced to me back in school to use warm water. And I just, I decided to try it. Um, and I never blistered. I mean, I really, I picked up an extremely hot metal lid, uh, and expect, mm. and I expected a profound burn. I wasn't sure if I would be able to actually type or, you know, do any of the work that I needed to get done that day. I thought that my right hand would be out of commission, um, but no blistering and it healed almost immediately. So I thought I really need to do a literature search on this. Um, and sure enough, there it was, you know, much, a much higher rate of, or faster rate of healing when they did these, you know, when they burned little mice, unfortunately, uh, when they exposed them to warm water. Because it didn't, we always, I wanted to do cold. We immediately wanted to do cold. I wanted to stick my hand in the freezer. But, you know, just the vasoconstriction effect, you know, the long term, the, the pulsing hot and cold, as you describe, is very different than just shutting circulation down completely by freezing one's hand. So it was something that I wanted to blog about, and I took a picture of my hand, and maybe I'll get to it, but a little bit tangential, but interesting. Very interesting. I didn't know about that, so you're teaching me something new. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're, they've actually studied it. Um, okay, so toxins. Let's just circle back to toxins. You covered a lot of them in the book, uh, and you emphasize clean source alternatives um, frequently. And, you know, any particular bad actors that, that come to mind as what you're going to be addressing in your patients, like, immediately? Oh, my gosh. I well, know. We haven't, we haven't talked that much about endocrine disruptors, and I feel like mm -hmm. this is the elephant in the room when it comes to hormone imbalance. You know, whether you have weight loss resistance or you, you know, a common problem that I see, and this is in the literature as well, is that you go on a diet and you lose weight, you know, maybe 10 pounds, and then you just hit a wall. You hit a plateau. And it's very common that in that situation you've released, you started to burn fat, and yes. you released all these endocrine disruptors that are stored in your fat tissues. Right. That's so right. So you have to have a method for getting rid of those endocrine disruptors. So what are some of the worst players? Well, you know, I think... Um, the average woman applies about 515 synthetic chemicals on her skin every day, and I think the skin is a really important place to be thinking about where you might be exposing yourself. You know, mm -hmm. most people have sort of bought the message that they need to eat organic food, so they have less of uh, pesticide and herbicide pollution, but they're still putting, you know, toxic shampoos or nail polish on. And there was just a study released from Duke Uni University a short while ago uh, in collaboration with the Environmental Working Group where they found that when you apply nail polish to your fingernails, and this is, you know, kind of standard nail polish like OB or Orly, mm -hmm. you get a seven-fold increased level within 14 hours of metabolites of certain toxins that are in the nail polish. Wow. And the one that they studied in particular is called TPHP, triphenylphosphate. So I think, you know, we've got to we've gotta really demand as consumers that we have safer alternatives. I use, I love fingernail polish. I mm -hmm. actually always have a pedicure. And I use Zoya. Zoya is mm. one of my favorites because it doesn't have this, um, this particular toxin. You know, another common source of toxins is um, conventional meat, especially from CAFO farms. And a lot of people are pretty aware of this. They're eating wild meats or they're eating grass-fed beef, for instance, but they'll go out to a restaurant or they'll travel and they'll have a hamburger and just kind of look the other way. So you've got to think about that, about the conventional meat and how that is associated with an increased level of estrogen in the body. You know, we're constantly fighting kind of this estrogen pollution. Yes. And I want people to be aware of that. Right, right. There's a really, there's a study that I always cite when I'm talking about Toxins. I think it's 2006, Lee et al., and they showed um, a dose relationship between diabetes and persistent organic pollutants, and the odds ratio in that particular study was, 20, was 38, actually greater than 38. 
So the, yeah. you know, the association is just massive. And just like you said, when we start to lose weight, we liberate. So persistent organic pollutants, folks, we don't move them out of our body, hence the name. In fact, I mean, I always imagine it as our liver really, you know, these are synthetic chemicals and our body looks at them and says, you know, what the heck do I do with this? And so we immediately sequester them, you know, put them in the fat, you know, just get them out of, the, get them out of circulation um, because our liver just stumbles with these. And, um, however, you know, I have, we, we can move them from our, our body. Detoxification does work, but as you point out, weight loss liberates them, you know, the so-called second, second half-life, um, and they have profound endocrine disruption uh, capacity. So, uh, and yeah, I I'm, glad, I'm glad you raised that study because I feel like that's the one that really got the attention of the conventional physicians who have, you know, sort of ignored the mounting data that we've had on endocrine disruption and what a problem it is, even in the diseases that they're seeing every day, like diabetes. Yes. So for sure, you can disrupt your estrogen, you can disrupt insulin, leptin, androgens. We've got a serious problem with the endocrine disruptors that we're getting exposed to, including the, the POPs, the persistent organic pollutants. Right, right. Um, but I was heartened. I don't think that there have been en there there hasn't been enough good solid research around the detox protocols that we employ and removing pops. But you know, just having worked at the lab for so long, when we started to um, look at the toxins and we looked certainly looked at persistent organic pollutants, we would employ our own detox profiles and get baselines and follow up. And I've you know I've seen that our our protocols work. Uh, in, in expediting the removal of, of, of um, certain compounds that have, you know, decade or longer half-life. So it's just, it's time for us to hopefully, you know, well, we will organize and get these data out there. So, Sarah, it's been really wonderful talking to you, and I could continue. It's been such a pleasure. Um, but we need to circle back, and I just, you know, if, if clinicians are interested in learning more about your approach, obviously the first thing to do would be to get to get your books and, and to probably, you know, try what you're recommending on themselves and with some patients. But is there is there any way that they might learn your protocol? Anything you would advise? Well, honestly, I write my books with practitioners in mind, mm -hmm. so I think. Um, there's a lot for the clinician in my books. You nice. know, the, that's certainly the reason why I've gone through about 2,500 studies for each of my books so that they have the resources that they need at their fingertips to go to the original data. And that came from, you know, having patients bring books to me when I was first starting out and realizing that often this is the main place where you see these uh, conceptual models that maybe we're not seeing in conventional medicine. So that's one way. If you're on my list at saragottfriedmd.com, you'll get information about our clinician training. We've got um, a training for hormone, natural hormone balancing that we teach usually every other year. We'll probably teach it again in 2016. My third book is about uh, epigenetics and how to slow down the aging process. So we'll definitely have some teaching for clinicians there. So if you're on my list, you'll get information about it. I think that's probably the best resource. Great. And again, we will give you the various links that you need um, in the podcast, on the podcast page. All right. So I, I hate to wrap up. It's just been such a nice time chatting with you. But any, any final words of inspiration to clinicians or, you know, just people interested in living well? Well, I think, you know, I, I can speak from having lived in a female body for 48 years. You know, yes, women are more sensitive to the environment. We're more likely to have hormone imbalance. We, it's easier for us to gain weight. It's harder for us to lose weight compared to men. But it also presents this amazing opportunity when you sort of understand the differences between men and women and to leverage that sensitivity, that kind of heightened sensitivity that we have so that it can serve you better. Mm. And another way to put that is it's so much easier to get your hormones back in the balance than to live with the misery of them being out of balance. So I think that's sort of my last piece of wisdom to share with people. Another, another sort of last piece that I'm working on right now 
is um, the power of community and collaboration and accountability. So if you're interested in the hormone reset diet, whether you're a clinician or a consumer, I think um, come join us. Come do the detox with us. Come do the hormone reset diet with us. You can learn more at hormonereset.com forward slash detox. So we teach it a few times a year, and we just know that the results are two- to three-fold better when you do it in a group with a start date. Mm. So those are sort of my last words of inspiration. And it's been so fun with you, Tara. I just really appreciate you so much. I can't wait till our paths cross in person again, as they will. Um, your detox will, will be, as you say, addressing cell to soul. <laughs> Thanks, Yeah, Sarah. we all need to do that. <laughs>